Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 179. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the internationally acclaimed game designer and owner of Shoestone Publishing, Andrew Granoski. Andrew, well, did I say for having me? You, you did said I say it exactly Gran- right um, on the first try, and I, we didn't even discuss it ahead of time. So, um, y- y- yeah, you you just uh, nothing but net. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, th- thanks so much for having me here. Um, if, if I'm, I-, I wasn't aware of it as internationally acclaimed, but cool. <laughs> I guess I guess I am. You could say because um, I've got some um, friends in Australia and in the UK who think I'm great. Yep. So there you go. I am, I am internationally acclaimed. I didn't even realize it. Thank you. It's true. I know because I, you know, listening to some previous interviews of yours, they were, you know, based out of Britain and I, I saw that you did. Yes. Yeah, so you do have people all over the world, I other do. parts of the world that, that do, that, that do, uh, that do buy your games. So, which is exciting because your, your best selling game that we're, we're, we're here to talk about, which is a core, uh, a fake core system inspired setup is uh Maganomia. You got it again. That one we did talk about ahead of time, but we you did. got it. Good, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so talk to a bit of, to talk. I, I'm very curious, very curious. Mm-hmm. Somebody who um, has, has delved into the fake core system and, and is familiar yep. with it. I'm, I'm first of all, I'm, I'm curious to learn why you chose the fake core as your, especially that one of the, one of the main, uh, one of the main, um, unfair criticisms that the fake core system has is like, how do you use magic? But you right. have your system set up where it is, yep. you has these five sciences of magic that follows and really curious to do a deep dive on how you created your magic system through the fake core. Um, but first, can I give people a little bit of background of, of your game too? Oh, thanks. Um, yes. Maganomia is the role-playing game of Renaissance wizardry. Mm. Everybody plays a wizard or all the player characters are wizards in a world that is historical fantasy. It's the 16th century as Europeans believed it to be. So um, there are fairies and witches and astrology works and um, that sort of thing. Um, You, you, cure sicknesses by balancing the bodily humors um there it's, it's a fascinating time in history too uh, um with um the the tudor famous tudor dynasty of england and elizabeth the first the virgin queen um first having to defend her throne and then having to keep defending it <laughs> and, uh, um you know, and and um, famously, um, espionage was kind of um, m- modern espionage was kind of invented under her reign, um, and uh, it's it's just it's just a lot of fun. Um, right, you've got to be a little mindful that um, 
uh, not everything in history is fun, uh, but uh, not everything in, in modern in a modern world is is fun either. But we managed to make lots of great movies, right? Lots of great comics set in the modern era. It's the same thing. Um, you just have to be um, very selective about what what sensitive topics you address and how you do mm. it. Right. Uh, but uh, magic, um, this was a time when people believed magic was real. Like the right. best minds believed in magic. Mm. And it's just fascinating that that was true <laughs> ever, <laughs> right? Um, uh, and, and it turns out that you can make a very playable ma magic system out of it. Okay. Which surprised me. <laughs> so so talk to us a bit about that what how did you yeah. as you said I, I love the idea this is history adjacent in a way where right. it's there's it's and so it's based off of our real history through the lens of playing with it was alchemy thir mm -hmm. there's witchcraft uh so yeah, what the the five sciences as you, as you, yep. the magical sciences as you call it? What are the five magical sciences? I can rattle them off: alchemy, astrology, theurgy, which theurgy. is um, really magic that comes from Spirits. controlling angels. Okay. Um, sorcery, which is controlling other kinds of spirits in our world, ghosts, elementals, hmm. um, and then um, and witchcraft which is folk magic. Witchcraft is our name for eclectic magic that right. um, that's, that's taught through apprenticeship, not through um, homes of lore. Right. The, bl the blue-collar magic. The blue-collar magic, um, <laughs> but equally powerful, equally right. significant. In fact, um, yeah. maybe a little too powerful because I, I made it, I, I, it, it brings in a lot of the best of the other sciences. Right. And so how are you able to take for, for those that are kind of unfamiliar with, uh, with, with the play playability of, of mm -hmm. the fate system where you kind of have your high concept and you put in your troubles and then you put in your stunts. How do you, what would give, give people a, a, a back of the book summary on, on the fate system? Um, well, I think there's several ways you can design magic using the fate system. Okay. Fate appealed to me because I'm a software engineer in my day job. And I looked at and I saw patterns like what we use in software. Um, so I, I, I kind of came to grips easily with the, with the elements of, of the fate rules. And I, there's more than one way you can apply them, but the way, I did it was um, I made each spell spells don't use just one of the principles of fate mechanics. They kind of use them all um, mm. spells are what fate core calls extras. And okay. extra is a thing that can have the attributes of a character. So spells um, you can get very complex with spells because I'm not going to say complex. You have a lot of choices with mm. spells because in using fate, you can make a spell that has a skill like a character would have and can okay. function and replace the character's skill. And I've, I've got an example of that. There's a potion called strength of 10 men. 
it has a strength score or physique is the right. is the skill and that replaces the person's um physique while the spell's on them okay? okay that's that's an example similarly there are spells of protection that do that with defensive skills um another big thing that spells do is they um can bestow or have aspects all right i knew that if everybody's playing a wizard we're going to need a lot of spells <laughs> right because everybody's going to have a wizard and they all want to have their own repertoire and they all want to have something different to bring to the table so we uh I knew I was going to need a lot of spells. I knew I was going to need a lot of variety. I knew I was going to need flexible rules to do it. Hmm. And uh, so w what I, I tried to do was to sort of tie in the effects of the spells with the rules that a, not, that a character has by default or has in the absence of spells. So okay. just, um, whatever a character can do, a spell can do and kind of overwrite what the character does or override it. Okay. So when you were creating the game itself, at what point did you bring in, because I say you, you do have um, some other people that kind of helped you with the draft of it later. Oh, what were some of the changes that, they helped put in from a game design perspective and what help did they put in from a, a lore perspective, I guess would be. Oh yeah. Great question. So yeah, we've got, I've got uh, what four co-authors on the cover and then there's another, another person who deserves a nod, Matt Ryan, who's mm. also, he's, he's an old friend of mine. Um, and you know, we, we started with the concept of the game. We had all played, uh, another wizard game called Ars Magica and right. yep, yep. Um, classic and freelanced for it. Uh, most of us had, had, had done freelance design for this game. And um, of course we started as talking about if we were to make a next edition, what would it be? And the answer eventually was it would be something that it, the owner publisher of Ars Magica Atlas games would not be very interested in. And that's, uh, it's very understandable. I mean, we were we were a little naive to think that a bunch of strangers, freelancers, could could pitch a, a new edition of their one of their major games to them, and they'd say, "Oh yeah, you guys should definitely take over this and write it." Um, <laughs> no, that's not how it happened. But we entertained a bunch of possibilities and said, "These are these these have value. What would a game be like if we pursued them? Right, right. If we stuck closer to historic magic, if we." Um, so there was there was a a lot of um, just creative discussion uh, that we were having. So um, really, they were involved in the beginning, and we shopped around for a system. I am of the firm belief that you're much better to to use an open game license system okay. if if you find one that fits than to roll your own rules. Because if you roll your own rules, you're you're greatly increasing your design work and you're playing with an untested base system. Right. Uh, and, um, and fate was, um, fate was the Goldilocks system. Um, okay. All right. Okay. So um, the, the first thing we tried was um, powered by the apocalypse. 
Mm-hmm. And it's very, it was very different. Um, I like, I like that engine. And at the same time, the play experience is quite different from, I, I come from Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Right. Um, and, and from, from those sort of first and second generation role-playing games, it's, it's a real different experience. What you do as a player is different. Uh, in Powered by the Apocalypse. I thought that that is a big leap. And we're trying to engage people who have maybe drifted away from the hobby. And then, you know, they're getting to be my age. I've got a gray beard here and, and they're empty nest and they're looking for to start hobbies again. Right. Right. Um, that's, that was kind of the marketing strategy. And this worked by the way, that most of my audience are, are like, 50 ish and up, <laughs> but it's, it's I, I certainly hope that younger people will enjoy it. I think they will. Um, so we wanted something that's just a, a little less of a, of a change of mindset and fate requires a change of mindset as well, I think. And we'll get to that, but it's not as big mm. and you can, you can play fate like a traditional, um, more traditional first or second generation role-playing game, and it will be a good experience. Um, Where the strength of fate shines is the improvisation that it encourages and allows. How different is the game as it stands now as compared to the first draft that you made it? Yeah, great question. Thank you for asking. It is, a, it's a lot different, and and yet some one very major thing just endured. Um, the very major thing, and this was Matt Ryan's contribution, because we were we were looking at the, the it was wide open from a design mm-hmm. perspective how magic was going to work, and Matt said, "I like spell lists," and. I looked at the source material um, because you can go out and buy books of 16th century magic that people were trying to seriously sell in the 16th century. And like, you can buy those today. It's wild. Um, You can find them on the internet. And I did. And I read these and I'm like, these are very specific spells. Like it's not, it's not a spell of, it's not a a spell of, Oh, just uh, broadly, uh, um, bring you good fortune. It's like, here's here's a spell that is going to make your boss think you're doing a good job. <laughs> okay? They're they're real narrow and targeted. Um, and they have a lot to do with picking up girls, by the way. And we did not include those. We didn't use them um, because, because that's not the kind of experience that we're trying to create. Right. But... Um, but there, there were, you know, spells that are cures for specific diseases. We saw those, but the spells are very specific. A spell to take, um, to, to put a curse, and it'd be like a specific kind of curse, like to, right. to, to cause illness to fall on someone who has cheated you in business. Um, they're, they're that narrow. Um, we broadened them a, a little bit, but. Um, it lines up well with having lists of spells and a repertoire of spells. Um, so this also then made it easy to partition them 
into different categories so you can have a different theme for your magic. That's what the sciences are because everybody's playing a wizard. We don't want them all to have the same spells. Right. We want them to bring a different style of magic to the table. And so there's astrology, which is very subtle and has a lot to do with influencing events and finding the right time to go do things, making things mm. happen at the right time, um, versus sorcery, which is in your face, just summon an air elemental and have them carry you up onto the roof of a building. Um, and uh, so, so that's the spell lists um, were an idea that we started the beginning and stayed with what changed a lot was I was ex a couple of things changed a lot. Um, I was expecting that I would be taking a lot more liberties with the spells. I, I was um, from the historical sources, but it turns out if you throw away all the stuff that's irrelevant to role-playing games, um, you can kind of take these spells and like just go ahead and write them in fate. Right. <laughs> like, um, I am surprised at how many spells we were able to pull out of the grimoires and just like make into game spells. I thought that they were going to be a, a lot, there was going to be a lot more um, rewriting abstraction and just, just changing them up. Um, but the, what I found is that the, the closer we stay to the source material, the more of a good gaming experience we're able to provide uh, mm. because the spells are like inherently have limitations and the limitations make it give room for creativity. The, the limitations make you think to okay. use your magic. Um, so another thing that, that changed a lot is I thought that the, um, ceremonial action, setting up for a spell um, was going to be a big deal. Um, and when we started the game, I was like going into detail, like you, you draw a magic circle and you gotta, you know, you, you gotta do this and you gotta do that. And each of these were tasks and it was like a project to cast a spell. And we played the game, right, as we're developing and it turns out that I quickly realized, A, that's not fun. B, we're not on track to make it fun. So we moved all that stuff off stage. Off, and it's, it's funny because I played D&D &D and I'm seeing, I'm feeling like I'm following in Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson's footsteps a little bit where like, I'm just simplifying magic so like all the hard part about making sure that your wand is cut from a hazel tree that's never been <laughs> touched by an axe and you take the southernmost branch by the light of the new moon right all that stuff it's great lore but right. it, it, you don't do it like as a character while you're playing the game it's it's right. all backstory um, so a lot more moved into the backstory of your wizard and into sort of the, I call it, uh, offstage okay. activities that we describe, but we don't like make the player go through it. A okay. lot of the rigmarole of magic, 
um, that I thought was going to be in the foreground is moved to the background. So does and does that do you do you see that as being a part of the fate system or that would just be any system probably you would have come to that conclusion as well? Probably any system. Um, okay. Fate made it easier because I had more tools for okay. like capturing how magic works and mm. capturing preconditions and things. Okay. So so when I looked for well, okay, I don't wanna I don't want to make the character, you know, create their wand at a certain time, but I do want to represent that you need a special wand to cast the spell. And if somebody steals your wand, you're going to be out of luck. Right. right? And fate provided me with enough mechanical tools that I could always create a rule when it was meaningful. Um, and I never had to when it, um, when it wasn't meaningful. Right. And so when you make that rule, would that be something you'd put under, say, like a stunts or an extras or a trouble? Where would you it put would, that? It would then? be under an extra, um, okay. and it would be an aspect of the extra. So okay. it's time to talk about aspects. Um, an <laughs> aspect is, is – it's a, it's a – I wouldn't say fate is the only system that has it, but fate makes extras really central. An okay. extra is a – instead of just a number – it's it's a narrative statement that is true in the game. So if you want your character to be the long lost son of the Earl of Warwick, okay, I don't know that maybe that's not a great example. How about um, you have a fairy godmother, right? Your wizard has a fairy godmother. You can you can make that statement. You can say my character has a fairy godmother, and that's an aspect that then you can use um, in, the, uh, in the story when you're performing an action. If you can think of a way that having a fairy godmother would help you, you can then use that aspect to say, well, because I have a fairy godmother and we're talking to the fairies, I'll drop her name and the fairies will be impressed. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's how aspects work. So, so they're, they're these facts that are declared to be important that you can then improvise around. Um, so I put some of those into, into spells as limitations. Uh, okay. I got you. Okay. That's a, that's a smart way of looking at it. That's a smart way of doing it. As you, as you mentioned earlier about how to create, you know, having the spell list and stuff. Did you see that first when you were kind of looking at, should I have the spell list? Was there a worry that it was going to take away some of the improvisation yeah. or the narration yeah. piece of it? Absolutely. Yes, it was. Yes, there was that worry. And um, in Ars Magica, um, you know, there was, there was this thing where you could make up your spells hmm. on the fly. And then okay. there was also, um, if in the Fate System Toolkit, there are a couple of different magic systems provided there as examples that are similarly flexible. Okay. Um, what I settled on was um, actually similar to D&D &D, of all things. D&D um, is not a bad game. Uh, I, I'm just a little surprised because it's, it's very familiar, right. right? And you think being creative, you're not gonna be reusing something from, from something familiar. 
actually a good idea is a good idea whether it's familiar or not right and um dnd has spells that are that are um that are flexible um uh, for example um disguise self is a spell okay. right and unless you choose what you disguise yourself as in dnd so it does a narrow thing but it's flexible within those boundaries and that's how we design spells in Magnomia. They're they're flexible within boundaries, okay. and the the broader those boundaries, generally speaking, the more powerful the spell. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. And so, how did you do? Uh, did you do something uh, in unique settings when it came to character advancement or anything like that as well? Um, the fate system actually gave me all the right tools um, okay. for character advancement. So I was, I was happy about that. Um, it, it just kind of worked. Um, there's one thing that we did um, because while we were late in development, um, Evil Hat published the Fate Condensed system, which clarified and... Um, it, it clarified a lot about how fate is supposed to work, streamlined some of it, straightened out some, some corner cases and just made the system smoother. So I went and retrofitted okay. and um, when, when I converted from fate core to fate condensed, and we actually have a bit of a hybrid between the two, but trying to utilize fate condensed. Um, there was a, um, one of the advancement rules um, kind of didn't have a name. So I made a name for it. I called it a revelation. When, when you unlock a whole new degree of magic. Oh, so, okay. so spells in Maganomia have a degree, um, which is, I mean, it's, it's just how powerful they are. The first degree spells are the weakest spells that are useful. Okay. And seventh degree is unattainable. Um, seventh degree is beyond the limit of what anyone has ever done and what you should expect to be able to do. Seventh degree would be the elixir of eternal life, for example. It's something that maybe you could make a lifelong quest for, um, but if, if, if you ever attained it, that would be the, the end of your, um, of your lifelong quest. <laughs> so, um, and, and player characters can go, they start with degree one through four at their okay. command, and then they can unlock degree five and degree six that gives them headroom. Right. Um, and th that unlocking is called a revelation. So it was um, something that I sort of carried forward from Fate Core and and renamed. Um, and, and so that's the interesting thing, as you mentioned, is that they have you know other than the revelation piece, you know, a lot of game designers that will take an open source system like this will tweak it to fit within their specific genre. As you mentioned, revelations. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the other things that you were able to do with the Fate Core system that you were able to tweak to? make it unique to uh make it unique to your yeah. game we added curses 
Okay. Um, you mean like swear curses. words in the game? No, no. I mean curses <laughs> like um, and, and, and cursing your enemies is is fun. Um, when when we first designed the curse spells, we were just laughing at the horrible things you can do to people. Right? You can give them, um, you know, severe uh, stomach distress. To put it politely, you can um, <laughs> you can interfere with their love life. Um, to put it politely, and and. and I don't know. You just get on a roll. You like sometimes you meet an NPC who's a real jerk, right? And you're yeah. like, I, I would love him uh, to to not have a sex life for the next month. <laughs> and and you can do that, right? In um, in Magonomia, cursing your enemies for fun and profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we made rules because a curse is, has to be able to be removed, right? And they also wear off after a. So, but you can you can curse your enemy beyond just the the cosmetic things. Um, you can curse your enemies to uh, make them more susceptible to make mistakes. You can curse them. So, um, trying to think. I mean, the most powerful curse we have is just bad luck. So, mm-hmm. like, um, anytime their dice rolls fail, it's worse. Mm. Um, right. I see you're paging through the starter rules now. Um, yeah, the starter rules, because this was our first product. Um, so it took a long time to develop. And I felt like we needed to, first, to build an audience. And secondly, to show, because we, we did plan to crowdfund this. We did crowdfund it. And I wanted to show that there was a product here. So... Uh, the starter rules is a, a minimum playable version of the game, but feedback from playtesters said we want everything in one book. So the right. starter right. rules actually has fate plus Magnomia, um, and so it's it's a full size book. It's 160 well, pages. You're you're right. You're free. I want to point this out. Yeah, you're you're the book itself is around 400 pages. Yep. Somebody can go to drive through RPG today, right now, at this recording and after this, is you can download the starter kit that's uh, over 150 pages long, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was our first product, and I wanted to show what we can do. Right. I, I I have to say it's it's been it's 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 a fantastic read. I'm, I'm so I'm I'm curious too. Is like. Putting on your game designer hat, mm-hmm. you were this as you say this is this has been a passion project for yours putting this together. Did you this easily as you say you could have been? I remember you said in a previous interview you're you could have turned it into two, like volume one and a volume two, but mm-hmm. your plate your beta tester says no, we want it all in one book, so that's the reason why it's such an immensely sized book. But my mm-hmm. but what what were some of the things that you actually felt you had to self edit because you could go down rabbit holes as learning. This is really cool. Wow. This is another thing. Cool thing about the, Oh, I could do that. How much of that did you have to kind of self edit yourself in order to make sure that you didn't end up creating like a thousand page book because you were learning <laughs> things that are so historical. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, we, we put in, information about the setting um we we could have gone much deeper right um 
and I wanted to, yeah, I, I had to cut out a lot of stuff. Um, there's, there's sort of gameplay and mm -hmm. story creation advice dispersed in throughout the book. Um, I wanted to put in a lot more guidance, but I, I, I restrained myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I restrained myself. Uh, I had to self edit. Yeah, the, the book got big because I felt that I, um, it was important to put everything in one set of covers um, uh -huh. and that we wanted to be able to take advantage of the historical aspects of the setting, the fantasy aspects of the setting, and then really pour the lore into the spells. Okay. So um, we cut quite a few spells, actually. <laughs> um, the, we, we cut and condensed a lot about the historical conflicts of the period. We mm. cut a lot about data. Well, we, we restrained ourselves from writing a lot about day-to-day -day life in the period. One of the beauties of setting in a historical setting or real world setting is that the internet is your source book, right? Wikipedia is, is perfectly good as a, as a source book for, for the period. And as a matter of fact, you can, because there are real places, um, you can go to, I don't know, I'll pick a, I'll pick a town, Suffolk, and right. you can dig into the oddities of the history of Suffolk and you will find even stuff from, even if you, if you draw the line and say, okay, let's rule out, um, 17th and 18th century and later, let's just stick to the 16th century. You'll still find amazing stuff. I, I have no idea what happened in um, uh, Suffolk as a county. Um, yeah. um, so take a town in Suffolk like Colchester or Great Yarmouth or Norwich and uh, and there, there you go. Um, right. you, you can find, I mean, and people like have paying day jobs to, to find that stuff out for you. So that's, that's the advantage of playing in um, history adjacent setting or, or historical fantasy. Uh, there's just so much material and you don't have to restrict yourself to stuff. That's true. There are definitely rumors that are, you know, historians don't think are true, hmm. but you can make it true and, and use it. I mean, I, I guess a great example is, is whether um, Elizabeth I really did have uh, a love affair with Francis Drake, right? right. You um, you could um, you'd make that true, or you could you could like make a story about being the matchmaker, trying to link them up or something, um, if you wanted to, right. or not. And and the the other beauty of it is, is this can all be background. And that's, that's how I usually do it. I usually don't run stories where um, you're involved with historical characters. They might make a cameo. Hmm. And my favorite character for cameos is Dr. John D. He was, um, uh, some people could call him the court astrologer to Queen Elizabeth. That's like, 
oh, that implies okay. a steadier job than what right. he actually had. Um, he he was sort of on. She called him in, and, and he did odd jobs of astrology for her, but. Um, he was a scientist, a mathematician, and a magician at a time when that was like that was credible. Right. Um, and uh, he was also rumored to be um, to mostly in codes and cryptography. He was rumored to work for um, Her Majesty's intelligencers, the spies. Uh -huh. And uh, so I use him as a spy master. Um, I use him as a vehicle like uh, M in, uh, in James Bond, um, where he says, I've got, we've got this idea where we're going to assemble the wizards of the realm to, to be spies, um, to, to defend the realm against um, Spanish witchcraft <laughs> or... Um, or you know king oberon of the fairies trying to take over uh, right. or something like that um and I'll, I'll point out that there's there is another game um that came out a few months after um Maganomia called the d sanction and um it's it's a much more rules light game it doesn't use fate um, it's more, it plays up the, the espionage and has okay. a lot less magic. So it's, um, but it's, it's about wizards in Elizabethan England and it's a very different game, which is just fascinating. And, mm. um, I, I have good relations with the, with the guy, uh, the company, uh, that wrote it, um, uh, and, you know, uh, I reached out to him and I saw him and I said, hey, uh, this is really cool. And um, our audience overlaps, right? So there are plenty of people who have bought both. Yeah. And, um, that, and that's something I really like about the industry is that we're collegial. Right. Right. Now, I'm, I'm kind of curious, too, is like with your, your fans and readers of the game, have you been getting any um, – any demand or asking about uh, any additional source books to different geographic areas or different times mm -hmm. or different or different time periods or maybe doing a deep dive into having source books on the separate magical sciences? Uh, yes, a little bit. Um, so we've got plans and I can talk about them a little bit um, for expanding the product line. What people really are asking for, the strongest request that I'm getting from the audience is make it easier, um, give us a paved road to introducing um, this game to our friends. Um, we, we like it, but you've got this 390 page book, <laughs> right? And it's, it's a bit of a tough sell. Right. Um, so I am working on a, a more lightweight quick start that doesn't try to teach you fate at the same time as Maganomia, that just teaches okay. Maganomia and sticks to the highlights. Um, so that's a product that we're working on. I've got several published adventures in the pipeline. There's one okay. adventure you can download for pay what you want called Curse of the One-Eyed Witch. It's pretty good. Uh, there's, um, there's, there are more adventures in the pipeline. 
Okay. Um, so that's those are the first products that you're going to see. And another product that's in the pipeline is a bestiary of enchanted England. We Ooh, have, okay. Yes, this is something else that we had to where we had to make cuts, actually. And I, I didn't think of it at the moment when you asked me, but there are so many fantastic creatures from folklore that we wanted to put in the book. And I'm very excited about a bestiary of enchanted England. I'm hoping that this is something that will appeal to people who, who aren't even really interested in playing fate, but just want to read the lore because my freelancers are they're all overeducated long time uh, history hobbyists who really dug in and came up with awesome lore um, and at the same time you know made it uh, made it their own they, they 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 often put a spin on it so, We've got about 25 um, historical creatures that did not, or legendary creatures. Mm. Um, we've got about 25 legendary creatures that did not, we did not have time and energy to put in the core book. And this will be uh, a product and the manuscript is almost done and it will be on Kickstarter. And cool. I hope to, I hope to get some uh, exposure for yeah. Magnomia and also um, for for this for this really cool book. All right, cool. Well, um, that that that's 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 really great, Andrew. So, oh, we're at the top of the hour. So, I would say, um, get, come back on when you're ready for that, and we'll 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 talk about it. That sounds really exciting. All right, it'll be a few months, and yep. um, yeah, uh, we'll stay in touch. Excellent. Well, th and thanks again, Andrew, for coming on. And I'm, I'm so excited, as I say. I'm a huge fan of the game. And uh, it's been a genuine pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Barney. I want to tell your audience, um, on our website, we've got a mailing list um, for people to sign up for playtesting. I'm running playtest games of these adventures that we're developing. And oh. actually, I need people to sign up and play online with me um, so that we can um so that we can vet these adventures and really optimize them um before we go to press so they can go to shoestone.com yep yep and there's an events and tab perfect yep. all right yep. all right well thank you very much andrew well thank you barney it was a real pleasure was cool when we went to Lake Placid because it's right near Saranac Lake. Yeah. It's so funny because, you know, right where we are, they show the weather of Vermont and northern New York. Vermont, northern New York. So it's just culturally speaking, it's pretty cool. Culturally speaking, northern New York is very similar to Vermont. Um, geographic, geologically, meteorologically, everything just always seems the same. But for some reason, when they are showing the weather, Saranac Lake is always – 20 degrees colder than everywhere else. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like yeah. Yeah, what's going on in Saranac Lake? Is it like they, underneath they, they them? Offended the frost gods. I don't know. I don't, it's like, <laughs> you're mentioning one of your interviews about that you've, you know, you know, you get some Cthulhu in your, is there some elder god or something? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, like, 
don't understand. It's always it's like 20 degrees colder everywhere else. I'm like, 